to the tune of Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. Jesus, at your holy table, may our hearts united be. Bind us with your grace and presence that redeem and set us free. Crucify our pride and hatred, light the path on which we walk. Teach us how to love each other in the way that you have taught. Christ, remind us of your passion, of your precious life outpoured, of the love which none can fathom, and our victory evermore. Bread of heaven, wine of promise, feed us with your strong presence, risen Savior, only Lord. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come and be with you this evening as we reflect on your death and all that there was in the breaking of your body, the shedding of your blood as we go into this week, as we go into this week of suffering as you ministered to Jerusalem, as you reached out, as they pushed back, as your haters roared up against you. But yet we know that all along you had a purpose. And that purpose was for you to shed your blood to pay for our sins. And I pray that you would be with us tonight as we have this service and as we take communion that in every way we would reflect and ponder and consider the price paid for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. And as you're seating, let's sing together the communion hymn, Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us. Oh 
And tonight's message actually takes us to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem. But it's going to, as we go through it, you're going to find that Christ is going to segue us all the way to communion because he's going to talk to us about his coming death on the cross. And we're going to see that all unfold in this text. There are four things that I'm going to take a moment to look at with you. Him coming into the city, a glimpse of the people around him in the city, the lesson that he's going to teach us about death and life, and then also Christ's pursuit of his purpose. All that is within these few verses, and that is going to bring us to the end of our service where we're going to take communion. So if you listen as I read to you John chapter 12, verses 12 down through 27, it says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. 
And there was a certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto, eternal, into li unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. So as we look at this text, we start off in those verses 12, 13, 14, 15, and it brings us to the account that all four Gospels give us of Jesus Christ being put upon the young donkey. And there he's put upon him, clothes are put upon him. The donkey walks into the city of Jerusalem with Christ, walking on the palms. Elizabeth Hollander texted me today. She said, uh, most preachers miss the miracle that the donkey doesn't kick and buck and jump uh, because it had never been rode. And the text does tell us that it had never been rode. Now, whether it had received any training or not, I don't know. But I thought I would give you uh, her insight into the day of uh, the triumphal entry. And as we come to this particular text, John gives us his insight on that day. And it reminds us that many people had come to the feast. And of course, the other Gospels tell us the same thing. From all different regions, people had, had come to Jerusalem at that time. Verse 13 reminds us that they took branches of palm trees. They went forth to meet him, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found that young donkey, that donkey had been brought to him by his servants. And we know the other Gospels tell us all about them going and finding the owner and the owner saying, why do you need this? And them saying, because the master has a need and he lets him take them. And when you come down to verse 15, he says, it reminds us of the text in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, that says, fear not daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. When we look at Jesus Christ entering into Jerusalem that day, there was much confusion among the people, not only the people who are yelling Hosanna and putting the palms down, but even among his own disciples, his own apostles. They're trying to piece together the events that are unfolding. And what we find here in John's description is some lessons, some teachings that he brings out that he wants his disciples to hold on to and better understand later on. 
As we look at verses 16 through 22, we get a little glimpse of the varied people that Jesus Christ is going to encounter over the next week of time leading up to his crucifixion. It's a very interesting thing that John does by pointing out all these different people groups. Not only are these the kind of people that Jesus is going to encounter throughout the week, but these are the kind of people we encounter all the time. Whether we recognize them as the same or not, they are the same. You know, the Bible teaches us that there is no new sin under the sun. Life, the way we live it, sure, our technology changes, our comfort level changes, all of those things, but people are people. And they have always been since Adam and Eve. So when we start meeting people here, look at what takes place. Verse 16. Again, it says, These things understood not his disciples at the first. So we're immediately brought to those who are the disciples of Jesus Christ, who just still don't fully understand. And you and I, in many ways, are just like that. We ourselves are continually in a state of learning, aren't we? I was just talking to somebody the other day how that every time they read their Bible, as they read it and meditate on it, God teaches them something new. Now, the new may be the application. It may be of how you look at this verse and take it and help it transform you to live. But it's a living book that constantly helps us grow. So we encounter these disciples. These disciples are in a state of growth. They're trying to understand what's going on. But it tells us that they don't understand. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things that were written of him. And that they had done these things unto him. So... We, he's telling us now, these folks are going to progress in their knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. The things that were taught about him. How he fulfilled them. Just as you and I do all the time. This morning, as we did our Sunday school lesson about the tabernacle. And we're looking at uh, the different elements in the tabernacle. And how they reflect different teachings throughout the Bible. We're continually in a state of learning, aren't we? So just as those early disciples, so are we still today. We come down to verses 17 and 18, and here we encounter another group of people. It says, The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, they bore record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. So these people are miracle seekers. They're curious. They want to see and understand, but they don't understand. They're really primarily hoping to see something. Something that's life-changing. Something transformational. Something impressive. Awe-inspiring. Moving. These folks have come to Jerusalem. They heard Jesus was going to be there. Folks had told him that he had risen Lazarus from the dead. And they're coming hoping to see something. You know, every Sunday there are people who come to church as seekers. They're coming and hoping that somehow God is going to touch their heart through his word. 
Somehow they're going to encounter God in their worship. They're looking, they're seeking, they're hoping that they might see something that touches them, moves them, inspires them. And you and I, our job is to help minister to them and help them to come to a place where they see Jesus Christ. I had mentioned this morning that I, just this week, I was talking to a Catholic gentleman and we were going through the scriptures and talking about the Bible and he looked at me, he said to me, well, why doesn't he come do miracles today? He does do miracles today. Now, the difference is, they don't really just want to see a miracle. They want to see God do a miracle the way they want a miracle done. There's lots of miracles that go on all the time. As we look at God work in our hearts and in our lives, as we look at God touch and heal people and raise them up from their sick beds, as we see God raise up a witness and testimony where we live up uh, in our community, we see God do miracles all the time. As I'm standing here preaching, I'm looking at Priscilla on that back row back there. I see a miracle. Now, maybe many of you don't know that for many, many years, Priscilla didn't go to church. In fact, she fought against the things of church and the Lord. Ask her sister. But you know what? God one day brought certain events to pass. And a connection of this person and that person, next thing you know... Priscilla is receiving Jesus Christ as her Savior. How old were you, Priscilla? Uh, about 54, 55. About 54. We won't ask her how old she is now. I know better than that. <laughs> 54 years old, she came to Jesus Christ. Listen, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. You and I all around us, we see miracles. But there are people who want God to do it their way. These folks had come to Jerusalem. They're coming and they're hoping that they're going to see Jesus do a miracle. But really, all they needed to do was step back. And Jesus is the miracle. They're seeing a miracle that day as he enters Jerusalem. They're seeing a miracle as God fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. As they usher in the New Testament, the new covenant of God through Jesus Christ. But yes, still today, we encounter these people. We come down to verse 19, and it tells us, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. Here we find the jealous, the skeptic, the hater. These individuals standing off to the side and they say one to another, do you see how that we're accomplishing nothing? With all our trickery, with all our, our efforts to, cry, to try to trip him up and, and to try to get him to a place where he can, he can be brought with accusation. Do you see how we're, we're accomplishing nothing in warring against him? The world, the world is following him. What a prophecy unto themselves, isn't it? They don't realize the words they're saying are the very words of truth. Even in their jealousy, even in their skepticism, even in their hate. When they say, behold, the world has gone after him. What a statement of truth. Because Jesus Christ is absolutely getting ready to die 
for all the world and all humanity. And over the next several hundred years, the world will be evangelized with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was accused of turning the world upside down with the message of Jesus Christ in his lifetime. So when you look at this, you understand that yes, there are those who are jealous, the skeptics, the haters. They will always be among us, just as they were among Jesus then. But the reality is, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He's come to pay the price for all mankind. And you and I, we are to bear witness of that, even in the midst of those who are jealous, skeptics, and haters. As we come down, the last one I want you to, well, no, actually, I've got two more. Look at me with me at uh, verses 20 and 21. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now, there's a reason why that God, he, he makes this statement in his inspired word. He says, there came to them certain Greeks. And that's because this is in Jerusalem. This is the center and hub of Judaism. And yet, these Greek converts to Judaism have come to Jerusalem for the Pentecost feast. They've come, and now who are they seeking out? They're seeking out Jesus. So we find these Gentiles seeking Jesus. Now this tonight, I could ask us, if you're a Gentile, to raise your hand. I think probably the vast majority of us would fall right into that category. We would be those Gentiles, those non-Jewish individuals who are seeking to know Jesus. And all around the world, still today, because Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not, we know that the message spread out throughout the Gentile world. And so still today, you find the Gentile seekers. And the last one I want you to see, that Jesus will encounter throughout the week and we still encounter today, are found in verses 22 and 23. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. When we see Philip and we see Andrew, these are individuals who have been called all the way back at Galilee because the scriptures stipulate in verse 21 where it says Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee. So we're looking at Philip and Andrew. These are faithful servants of God. They are going to follow the Lord all the way through. They're going to be there for him right through all that transpires. These men are faithful followers. Still today, there are those who faithfully follow Jesus. I would like to think tonight, as we have gathered together to come and worship him on this Palm Sunday Eve, coming to do communion, 
I would like to believe that every one of us in this room, we are those faithful followers. We are that remnant of God that he has called together who still in purity and truth embrace him. That's what we find represented in these few. It's interesting, though, as we come down to verses 24 through 26, Jesus is going to kind of break off of what's transpiring, and he's going to teach them a lesson. Listen to what he says to them in verses 24 down through 26 about death and life. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, Now, you and I instantly, when we hear the word corn, we immediately think of corn because we know corn as corn, right? We don't think of corn as anything other than corn. But in 1611, the word corn really just meant a piece of grain. So he's saying to us, he's saying uh, when Jesus starts teaching this lesson in his language, he's saying to them, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, Him will my father honor. So Jesus in all that's transpiring here. Stops. And takes a moment to teach them a lesson. And he's going to teach them a lesson about death and life. Now normally when we use that turn of phrase. We talk about life and death. Don't we? And that's because what's the order that's natural? Life and death. We live and then we die. But Jesus reverses this and he's going to talk to them about death and life because he's going to teach us that there's a principle that we must die in order to live. And this is going to lead us right to communion. It's going to lead us to Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection. It leads us right to the sacrifice that Christ was willing to pay so that we might live. But he must die. So in order for us to live, he must die. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 down through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 down through 23. It says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And because the first fruits of them that slept. And became the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died. And what he's saying is ever since Adam and Eve. what, What happened? The curse of death fell upon us all. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. If we will but yet accept his death, his price paid, his sacrifice, then we live. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. 
You and I, when we hear this lesson that he teaches on that very uh, eventful day as he enters into Jerusalem, as John teaches us the lesson that Christ taught, he talks to you and I about that death that will bring life. Death precedes abundant life, according to Christ. Abundant life will yield abundant fruit. And that abundant fruit yields abundant service or joint service with Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching them that day. If they would but understand that that seed must be put in the ground. But that seed is dead. When you, when you look at that seed, that that piece of grain, whatever it may be, before it goes into the ground, it's not flourishing and alive, is it? Uh, Debbie confessed that she has not planted the little bean seeds in the dirt. And I can do that because Debbie's one of my hecklers. So, so that little bean is sitting at your house, dead as a doornail. Oh, tonight he's going, in, he's going in the ground. Because what are we looking for that being to do? To sprout and to come alive. And so Jesus is using this as an illustration to them on several different levels. He wants them to understand that he himself is going to die and be planted that he might live. But do you know that you and I as well we die to the old man that we might be new creatures in Christ. We too die so that we might live. And when you come down through the text here in verses 24 through 26, he, he has a progression of thought. He first talks to us about the death must precede abundant life, abundant life in Christ. But then as you come down, he talks about that it will yield much fruit. You see, when we die to self and let Christ live in us, we are able to abound in our lives. And then he goes down and the last thing he touches on, listen to verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. You see that abundant life, that abundant fruit leads to abundant service. We want to serve God. Why? Because we're alive in Christ. Why? Because he died so that we might live. And then we come down to verse 27, the last thing I'm going to share with you out of this text. And that is Christ talks about the pursuit of his purpose. Listen to what verse 27 says. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Now we're not at the Garden of Gethsemane. We're far from it. He's just entered into Jerusalem. He's just now interacting. And he makes it clear, he says, my, my heart is heavy. My soul is troubled, but for this cause came I unto this hour. And that brings us to the gospel. He reminds us of why he is 
here that day, on that day of Pentecost, coming in for the Pentecost feast, working towards the day of Pentecost, working towards his crucifixion. We're reminded of the sacrifice that he purposed to pay. Let's go ahead and sing. Thank you for coming out tonight. We're dismissed.